Psych. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to this week's episode of the one, the only, please watch this podcast featuring Hugh the Dynamo Kid Dempsey, and as always, joined by Sam the Bomber Blakely. Hey. How are you today, Sam? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good after that high-octane uh, starter. Uh, how are you coping? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, as you can tell, listener, that we are doing this week's film is Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> that is, I think, the official uh, theme music. That's what, well, you know, it's famous for. It? <laughs> it really made PJ to, and Duncan, didn't it? Rumble. Yes. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, no, and me eyes. <laughs> says, oh, no. I think that was cut from the final edit, but... <laughs> <laughs> so was it was it death that was blind it was wasn't it yeah yeah who was PJ and who was Duncan it was, Ant, it was Ant was blinded PJ. PJ is PJ must be Ant and Duncan must be Dex. it's hard listen. enough knowing Ant and Dex it, <laughs> it would be weird if they swapped that around yeah. and it was so it was Ant that was blinded when they went paintball but and then Duncan and PJ would be a terrible name I mean, PJ yeah. Nook has already said. Anyway, we've already talked a lot more about them than I thought we would. Um, yeah, so just because it's hilarious. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep it topical. Um, quarantine, we're in lockdown. So we're not actually doing... Just, just, just oh, before sorry, we go on to the maybe. topical point. We're not actually doing Growing Miss <laughs> Daisy. We're doing this week's film is the 2010 film, The Fighter. The Fighter. But Boxing. as we all know, the... Yes, boxing and manliness and all that jazz. Mm. Hence the uh, the Michael Buffer esque intro with the uh, fun. Let's get ready to rumble music. But Sam, before we do that, you have a question that you want oh, to yes. ask us based on a very specific thing that's happening right now in the world that nobody else is mentioning <laughs> on the podcast or in the news or in any other form. Every time we're preparing and getting ready for the, topic, when we're getting ready for the show, I just think when I'm on Facebook and Twitter, that's all I see. Even the film film Twitter profiles and stuff but you know it's impossible not to talk about it but uh, our good friend Ben in our little WhatsApp group has um, sent us this interesting brain tickler if you were quarantined for a year but could only have five films to watch what would they be there's a lot that goes into that it's not your five favourite films is it it's the only films you could it's kind of a desert island disc but it's one year Hugh what's your yeah. you know we haven't really thought about, had time to think about this what's your thought process on that so I was thinking do the Lord of the Rings trilogy count as one film or as three films? It's about ten hours. I think we have to see it as three separate films. Right. Because well, otherwise you could say, films. oh, does the MCU count as one film? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'd do that. So that's three films immediately. I'd do the three, Lord of the Rings That's, that's 60% of your films you can watch all year. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. What are the other two? Yeah. Desolation of Smaug and uh, Battle of the Five Armies or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, well, the three long films that make good sense and I could enjoy them over and over again if I had Crikey. to um, and then what else would I probably have? New Hope and Empire uh, Strikes Back sorted no, maybe like <laughs> Batman Begins and The Dark Knight really you'd go for a perhaps. trilogy and two of a trilogy you wouldn't have five completely different uh, films you're basically just watching two no, films there for, for a year uh, yeah well I'd like you know a bit continuated story sorry am I uh, Options not good enough. No, apparently, I, mean, I don't know why I'm reacting so strongly. I'm just taking a back. You wouldn't choose five different films. Uh, I'm just trying to think of two separate films that I could watch that are like quite long and that I would enjoy every time. But they don't have to be that long, do um, they? Uh, you know, you're not desperately filling up that. You've extra got five films minutes. to watch over twelve months. They've got to have some length to them. Yeah, I'm not suggesting you go for uh, a short. <laughs> uh, but would you rather have a yeah, ten out of ten? You? Wouldn't you rather have a ten out of ten nine? A ninety-minute film than an eight out of ten, three or four-hour film. No. Also, I think of those five films, there's only one of those that's like an eight out of ten. And the rest are ten. That's Batman Begins. Yeah. Blimey. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, more power to you, mate. Uh, gosh, I probably Fast and the Furious one through five. <laughs> no, sorry, four through nine. <laughs> uh, it is a really difficult question. I've not I, I, a film that I watch endlessly or could watch endlessly is Crazy Stupid Love. I don't know what it is about that yeah. film. It's just. Have you seen Crazy Stupid Love? I have. Yeah, oh, I was going to get that on the list otherwise. Yeah, there's something about it. Dan Fogelman is just a just a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, so that. Um, 
you know me I really like Cemetery Junction I've, I've rewatched that a lot so I'll put that on the list because uh, it's got uplifting bits it's got funny bits it's got musical interludes and I don't know to, to save time I'll go for a trilogy so I'll go for uh, Toy Story 3 because you know my daughter's gonna sorry Toy Story 1, 2 and 3 because my daughter's gonna be entertained I suppose yeah Toy Story trilogy is a good choice yeah, sorry. have you seen 4? I haven't, I haven't yet. I mean, I've had plenty of opportunities. We own it. I just uh, can't bring myself to it. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. So, Hugh, how was the... Aside from the, you know... I think they should have stopped at three person. Yeah, I, I, that's why I assumed. Um, uh, you know, quarantine, lockdown. We're now officially in lockdown, even though he didn't uh, say the words. Um, what's it been doing to you? How have you been coping with this lockdown of ours? Fine. You're basically in lockdown most of the time, <laughs> aren't you, anyway? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, the the big funny joke is, oh, you can do one bit of exercise. Okay, so what if I want to go for a round of golf? <laughs> could take six hours. I mean, he know, did specify a jog, a walk, a cycle. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Which is, you know, so, I don't do any of those. So, so there's three exercises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the state ration, state mandated exercise. Did you see in the news that a load of people went up to the Brecon Beacons in Wales at the weekend and it was like clogged up on the roads God. because everyone had the same idea to get away to go to the countryside. <laughs> oh, you're all here. Oh dear. Yeah, it really has brought out the stupid and um, selfish in people. Yep. But, you know, anyway, I think that's, that's enough topical I think that's stuff. enough time dedicated yeah, to uh, coronavirus. Yeah, they're getting uh, it Join over. us next week on Please Coronavirus This. Please wash your hands mentioned. and stay home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Please don't touch your face. <laughs> I just did it. Um, let's talk about this week's film. So, Hugh has recommended a film to me, The Fighter, which I'd never seen before. That's the whole concept of our show. Welcome to episode 36, I think. And uh, yeah, I've never seen it before. Hugh, can you give us a, a brief synopsis of this film and then tell us why you like it so much? Yes, yeah, so this is a 2010 film directed by American Hustle's David O. Russell. Thank you, Thank you very much for that. Uh, he's also doing Three Kings. And, well, says David O. Russell. Civil Ideas Playbook. Oh, Civil Ideas Playbook. Did you Joy again. as well? And I think you might have done Joy. Maybe I'm you just did Joy, yeah, probably, correct, yeah. yeah. So he's got a, an oeuvre to go and look over if you want to uh, look into yeah. that. Uh, some solid films in that. Um, I think this is his best one, personally. Um, if I have to make an argument. What's it about? Uh, of that. So it's. I'll give you who it's starring first. It's starring Mark Wahlberg as the titular fighter. Uh, it's got Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Melissa Leo, and uh, starring as the fighter's trainer, uh, Mickey O'Keefe. Mm. And there's also the a whole host of... The actual Mickey O'Keefe. Um, so the story basically is, in Lowell, Massachusetts, in 1993, former boxer Dickie Eklund, who once fought Sugar Ray Leonard, believes the TV crew are filming his comeback. In fact, it's a documentary on the 40-year-old Eklund's descent into drug addiction. His younger half-brother Mickey Ward is now the family's great white hope for a boxing world title, but Dickie and Mother Alice seem to think they have a stake in Mickey's future. His girlfriend and father believe he should ditch them for a professional trainer and manager, but when the crucial fight starts to come Mickey's way, it's Dickie's advice that gets him to the top, uniting all them as Mickey becomes world champion. So it's, Did you um, write that? It's a... It, I did not know somebody anonymously on IMDb wrote that, but I thought it was quicker to just give a quick synopsis of the film and we can brush on through and make and we can get on to the more important stuff, which is our opinions. <laughs> That's what they're here for. Yeah, so why yeah. do you like it so much? So, let's be frank, because, you know, I'm thinking of changing my name by default. <laughs> um, this performance has a Christian Bale performance of Oscar-winning performances. Did he win the Oscar? And... He did, and so did Melissa Leo for Best Supporting Actress. And she's the mother of the wards, is she? She is, yeah. And those two just absolutely chew the scenery off the walls. They chew it in the front, they chew it in the back. You know, you've <laughs> practically got to knock them away with a broomstick. They're so screen-chewingly good in this mm. film, uh, especially Christian Bale playing Dickie Eklund. A, a quick, a quick um, you know, related digression here. I've heard that phrase a lot, chewing the scenery. I've never been 100% sure what it meant. I always thought it meant, like, Nick Nolte-style 
a gravelly voice talking but it's not that is it it's like is it does it mean really trying <laughs> what does it mean to chew the scenery i've never really understood to me it means that they're almost overacting right yeah it's not very tame uh, i'm acting yeah it's i am acting here but it's in more of a character focus way sometimes i think is it, i mean is it sometimes re- i've heard it as an insult use the character with personality that maybe Sorry, go on. I was going to say, sometimes I've heard it as an insult, sometimes I've heard it as a compliment. I've never... Yeah, I need to. I just need to look into it a I think more, sometimes it? if you do it and the tone's completely wrong, so then it ruins a film because it's just... They're chewing the scenery in a bad way. They're overacting. They're, they've not met the tone of the film. So in this, one of the reasons that Christian Bale, and Christian Bale said this, was the reason he got the Oscar and he was allowed to, you know, act so amazingly in this film was because of Mark Wahlberg's deft performance as um as Mickey. They're very different you know, brothers. He was able they? to be Yeah, he's able to be sat there quiet, understated, and if it wasn't for that it wouldn't allow him to shine. I mean I remember when I first saw this film, I was like, oh, Mark Wahlberg's rubbish in this <laughs> and then upon watching it again I was like, oh no, he's actually acting like that for a reason because he knows that the real character in Mickey's life is his mother and his brother. Right. And they're the people who directed his, you know, world championship essentially, and how his life went about. And yeah, I think it's um, I think it's just an amazing performance from most of the cast. To be honest with you, I, I, there wasn't a bad performance in it. Okay, Mark Wahlberg's probably not stretching his acting chops. Let's be honest. But well, like you say, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a straight man, isn't he? He's not. He's not there to choose yeah. scenery. Yeah, um, and it's a film that. You know, boxing is the framework for the family drama in this film. It's not the point of the film, like, say, other films. It's always hard to do a boxing film, I think, and to review it and to look at it without looking through the framework of Rocky. Mm. Let's be honest, every film gets compared when it's about American boxing to Rocky. And this isn't Rocky. It's a film about family drama that happens to have two boxing members of a family and one of them, you know, descended into crack addiction, but managed to pull himself out and to help his brother become a world champion. I mean, that's quite an uplifting story. I quite enjoy the fact that it's an uplifting story. I'll make, you know, if it was real hard gravel cinema, I'd be like, well, that's not realistic. That wouldn't happen. Oh, you know, people tend to, you know, descend into deeper, darker places once they're addicted to drugs. But this guy managed to actually get out of that, which is, you know, I think sometimes you need to tell these stories. Do you... So, I mean, Hugh, um, for listeners, uh, Hugh's a more of a boxing fan than I am. Uh, I don't really know boxing other than as, as trivia, really. I don't really know it. Did do you... I, watching this, I didn't actually... I wasn't 100% certain all the way through if this was based on a real person or not. I'd never really heard of Mickey Ward. Um, obviously, it has real boxers in there, like Sugar Ray Leonard and so on. And some of the things that happen, I think, oh, that must have happened in real life. And then, obviously, at the end of the film, you see uh, the real brothers. Um, did you know much about this story already? Or is it a bit like Senna, where that was kind of when we were a bit too young? I've n- I'd no idea. I mean, I wouldn't say, like, I'm a boxing fan like I am an F1 right. fan or a football fan. And, you know, I always ask if anyone likes says, what's my favourite three sports? I always say football, F1 and tennis in that yeah. order. Where, uh, where would boxing, boxing be on the top, top six? More of a layman's... Nah, maybe. More of a passing interest if there's a big fight happening. I see. You know. So it's not something you knew but, a lot oh, about and you know you were invested in whether they got it right or wrong? I couldn't care less, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Um, there are some inaccuracies. There's, I mean, so famously, Mickey Ward had a three-series fight with uh, a boxer called Gotti, I think. Um after the events of this film are portrayed yeah. and that was kind of his career defining sort of um situation or matches so yeah i'm not like you any real like a, fa- a film about boxing would have that as its centerpiece where this is about the family drama yeah and i really like that um there, i also sorry, kind of like <laughs> the, i also the other thing that i like about this film is i like the fact that it uses um real cameras from like the 90s when it's showing you the fight it's in 93 and that's just 93 94 yeah it starts in 93 and even though it's not i mean this is where the historical accuracy kind of messes about um the fight that he has with um his final opponent in the film um 
Neary, that happened in like 2000. Right. So there's, a, there's meant to be like a seven year stretch in this film, but I don't, but it doesn't feel like that film happened in 2000. It feels like maybe three years max after the start of the film. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we're, unless it's something we really care deeply about, it doesn't matter, does it? If it's better for the film, it's, it's better. Exactly. So, yeah, what else I like about this film? I, but yeah, I like the fact that they use cameras and like TV lenses rather than they make it this really cinematic. Um, depiction where it's you know raging bull style you know close up fights being thrown into the face of the camera where this it's just here's what a boxing fight looks like on television when you watch it and but here's the bits you don't hear when you're watching it on TV so I really enjoy that kind of direction from the uh, David Russell I think that's quite clever actually Uh, it it marks it out from other films like Rocky and the Fighter and I'm trying to think of another uh, million dollar baby and stuff like yeah. that. Um, I th- you know, we talked about last week about revenge films being like a genre of films. You know, the the boxing film is a genre of films. You've got Cinder, you know, Cinderella Man in there as well as another famous Hollywood product uh, about boxing, uh, which is a good film as well. Southpaw. Yeah, you're right. There's quite a lot, and the, there are there are the three actors sort of set, aren't they? They're supposed to be a down and out <laughs> guy. He's supposed to have a bit of hope, and then. He's supposed to be nearly losing and then he wins. That's basically it, unless it's a sequel in which they're allowed to lose uh, and then come back Mm. in the next one or whatever. So, the reason I would recommend this film to you, Phil... uh, Phil? This film to you, Sam. This film to you, Sam. This Sam to you, Phil, yeah. Yeah, is... um, Because the film, you know, like they say... You know, Jaws isn't really about a shark. Right, right, right. The fighter isn't really about being a fighter. It's not about boxing. It's a, it's a, it's another um, theme. It's not the boxing. Yeah, it's it's something that that it's a framework that you get the film presented in around that this is their main conflict. This is the thing that brings all the characters together, and this and they, it's how they res- it's not how they resolve things. It. It's nice that it had a real resolution and a true-to-life resolution, but it's something that um, I really felt that you would enjoy because you're not really maybe interested in boxing, but you're interested in character dramas and character studies. Uh, And if it's a true story and you've got compelling performances, I think you would enjoy that. and I think you'd really, I think you'd really like Christian Bale's performance in the film as well. And like I said before, it's a bit of a feel-good movie. All right. Are there reasons why you think I wouldn't like it? You might not like the pacing of the film. I think the pacing in it's a little all over the place at times. I think there's a few maybe missed opportunities that they could have maybe focused a bit more of his time in prison or maybe a bit more of the fallout from the documentary. Um, they get glossed over a little bit, I think. Uh, maybe a bit more focus maybe on the boxing, perhaps. Maybe you wanted more of that focus. You know, like I said, it's kind of a secondary motion in this. It's a framework rather than a, than a focal point entirely, uh, which is which what I felt when I first watched it. I was like, oh, I, I thought I was going to see a, or watch a real boxing movie like Creed or Rocky or something like that, where it turns out you're watching a character film. But I, once I watched it, I was like, oh, that's a great film. Um, you might find that like we were saying about chewing the scenery and overacting or p- delivering character performances you might have found that jarring and in your face um, Christian Bale you either you might love his performance or you might hate it and I don't know I genuinely don't know what you think of this film right. um, so I'm kind of looking forward to getting your opinion there's something that we've never that we I think we used to do but we don't really do anymore which is do you think I liked it? I think we should start doing that, you know, when you said what I like and don't oh. like. You know, do you think, yeah. yes or no, do you think I like this film? I think you would like it, but I don't think it's a film that's going to live long in your memory. Right, okay. I think you enjoyed it for the couple of hours. You probably might have wanted it to be a bit shorter as well, because it is like nearly two hours. Um, the runtime goes on a bit, but I'm hoping that the runtime gives enough time to develop this relationship to its fullest. Um, you might have also, just going back to things that you might not have liked, you might have wanted more character development from other supporting characters because there are basically four characters that get a lot of screen time and everyone else is kind of left by the wayside a little bit. Like I think the father's role in this would have been more a little bit more interesting if they'd, he'd had a few more lines. Um, yeah. But I'm interested to see what you think. Yeah, let's find out. So... 
Coming up after the break, we are going to get from the red corner, Sam Bomber Blakely's jams, <laughs> Sam's jams, or oh, Sam's views on the fighter. You're a fighter, Rock. Welcome back to Please Watch This. So now, as we said before the break, we're going to get Sam's Jams. Oh, let's so Sam, get ready to rumble on Sam's Jams. Did this film jam you up? Oh, oh that sounds horrible. Um, it does. These are the things I liked about it. I think you're absolutely right. The key selling point is the performances. Um, and, you know, uh, I know they said Gareth Bale. <laughs> Not Gareth Bale. <laughs> Very With different person. Welsh performer Bale, yeah absolutely well christian bale i mean he's you know he does have a reputation as being very intense throws himself into a role he, he not unfairly but he does have a reputation for cha- changing his body as well which i think he said he's not going to do anymore um which is fair enough after 20 years of just destroying his body and i mean the machinist and equilibrium were, were filmed like a year or two in the same couple of years and he went down to eight stone for the machinist and he's just ripped in equilibrium um or he's jacked, or whatever word it is for like a bigger muscly, and he is just superb in this. You sort of forget it's Christian Bale, even though you're looking at him going, "That's Christian Bale." He just inhabits that character so well. Um, yeah, clearly has lost weight for it and looks like shit and all this sort of stuff, but it doesn't look like he's just put, you know, black, uh, you know, nail polish over his over his tooth to make it look like he's missing teeth. He really sells you on that, and you know, we've all. We've all known people a little bit like that, kind of can't sit still, reckless, fuck up, kind of you know irresponsible, charis- charismatic kind of per- person. And he really they have that nervous energy, don't they? Yeah, and I just I feel Not sorry for those people because because sometimes I'd love to have that energy, but what a pain in the ass it must be to always be like that because you you live in a world where that's not really suited for that. You live in a world where you have to sit down sometimes and be responsible and cons- you know think about consequences and all that. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, a really famous quote from On the Road, that's, you know, beat poet classic, um, where he's talking about his friend, and he's his friend is a bit like that, you know, he's, he's really charismatic, and he's, uh, this is a famous quote, he says, The only people for me are the mad ones, the, mon- the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, burn, burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars. And in the middle, you see the blue centre light pop and everybody goes, oh, <laughs> and because he, he's so beloved by the people, you know, that he's ha- he hangs out with. And he's one of those people who lights up a room. There's that great sort of tracking shot near the start where he says, I'm, you know, HBO making a movie about me. And they go down, down the street and they know everybody and he's kissing people and he's, you know, making jokes and all that and he's he, yeah he's, it must be a fucking nightmare to be like that because <laughs> you just can't switch it <laughs> off and then you turn to drugs to, to deal with it uh yeah and, and i just thought that was you know really good I, I was glad that i didn't know it was a true story because i'd be forever thinking oh this is a real man's life we're portraying um all the time so yeah he was great but mark Wahlberg, like you say did a good job as being the straight man kind of understated soft-spoken but a bit complicated because yeah. he's got this tension hasn't he between um uh, his family and what they want, his girlfriend and what she wants himself and what he wants and and I think that's really good. This you know, the family tension in this David Russell must have had a really fractious family life because there's a few films, in particular this and Silver Linings Playbook that he's made where there's these, you know, constantly overbearing families that are just they've got all their own shit, all their own neuroses and they're they're passing that on to their children. Um and it's this sort of cult like adherence to, to the family. At, at yeah. all costs, you know, it's they're really they're quite a collectivist kind of group. They'd rather they all failed together rather than one of them succeeded without the family. It seems, and I think performance-wise, Amy Adams is just fantastic in this film and a really great character as well. Really ballsy and tough as nails, but really funny. Uh, you know, really good. Not a wallflower at all. Not a not a cliche as well. She's quite I don't know, really headstrong. And Amy, Amy Adams, she's all fancy because she went to college. Yeah, she's one of those MTV girls. Uh, yeah, she knocks <laughs> yeah. it right out of the park. And like you say, everybody does. It, there isn't a weak performance in this at all. Yeah, so Amy, I, I, I'd forgotten how much Amy Adams swears in this film. <laughs> I love. There's a great bit where um, when Dickie goes to see her to try and get them to work together uh, for <laughs> Mickey's interest, and um, 
he's pressing the buzzer and she's like fuck off dicky yeah. and then he keeps and she keeps just pressing it and he keeps she keeps swearing in, in the him. subtitles <laughs> really in like the that subtitles it, it does the swear words and then after a while it just says something like intermittent cursing which <laughs> 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 is just great yeah. really well done yeah i really like that bit um okay so um so that's what you liked about it did you so did you buy the so did you buy the story that did you buy the love story between Amy Adams and Mark Wahlberg's character? Yeah, I did. I did because they—you call it a meet cute, you know—they're they're meeting at the bar. Was quite well done because he he is quite charming in that he's quite soft spoken and you know stands up for her and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, she's not a damsel in distress either. I think I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I bought it. It's like any film; usually, it has to go too quickly. You know, they have to be soulmates bonded forever in a day. But you know, yeah. at the same time, they 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 broke up and she hated him, and then they didn't, you know. So, and I did I did buy it. I think I understand why her character would like his character quite a lot, and I, I yeah. understand why she would see the potential in him and how much his family are dragging him down. And it's it's sympathetic, sympathetic to her. She's not a Yoko Ono, even though it would seem that way to his family. She, you know, you, we're on her side. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she doesn't come across as like shrill or self-interested at any time does she she always seems to have his best interest at heart that's right yeah she's not um, she's not in it because she wants him to be rich so she can be rich yeah yeah um i think we should also speak about um about melissa leo's performance in this as well i mean she's incredible as the you know the hard as nails mother of this tribe of nine children <laughs> who some of them are clearly about 45 yeah. as well. <laughs> about the same age as them. I mean, it is interesting, like, yeah. I, it actually didn't occur to me until our conversation that that was such a good performance. When a character, play, when an actor plays a character that you dislike so much, you just dislike the actor almost, you know, rather than go, well, they did a really good job at making me dislike. Because I don't really sympathise with the mother at all. I, I don't see that, I don't see her point of view other than she's got all these children flying the nest and you know wants to keep this head of the family kind of role yeah but there is that touching moment i think between uh dicky and her when they're in the car and she best she knows that he's in a crack den but she doesn't want to admit it to herself and all dicky does to do is turn on the charm and everything's suddenly forgiven and they're going back to the status quo yeah that's a really great scene in the film yeah she, she um, does have a couple of redeeming moments because she's not abandoning them uh, which is great, but yeah, she's not she's not doing what's right for the yeah. for them at all. She, she almost cuts the wood for the trees, isn't it? Yeah, is sort of the scenario there. Yeah, um, I would argue. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? What, what? Okay, so that's what you did like. Um, I also think the music in this is actually quite good. Yes, that's very um, true. It was quite jarring when yeah, they played was... a chilly song from Stadium Arcadium because I think it felt maybe I'm wrong here, but it felt like all the music up until then had had come out pre-1993 and so I found it a yeah. bit jarring when it was like oh this that's from the mid-2000s I don't know it's not a problem because it fit the what's the, what's the song um, uh, Strip Me Down or Strip sure. Me Down I can't remember what it's called but uh, yeah it fit the scene but you know what yeah really good the, the, there is a there is a danger if you throw in pop songs that it's going to turn out like Suicide Squad and it's just there for the sake but actually no it, yeah. it tended to fit the scene quite well they didn't do it every 20 seconds they did have a movie tie-in, I think, with that song, so I think that's why right, it got put right, in there right. in the first place. So, yeah, it it did feel a bit jarring. Yeah, I noticed it as well. I was like, oh, that's the chilies, isn't yeah. it? And I was like, but oh, is that I from mean, is that from Blood Sugar and Sex Magic? Because it it can't be Count yeah, a Kid. But yeah, it's it, it's you know it's you can yeah you can always tell with chilies can't yeah. you pre ninety eight and post when they stopped doing like, so much drugs I thought oh, that's, this isn't as good <laughs> yeah they didn't have anything to sing about no. did they? <laughs> what is a zephyr God knows I, I mean I quite liked by the way but that was because it was a Christmas uh, present when I was fourteen and uh, yeah yeah listened to it I listened to it endlessly while playing Devil May Cry that was a great day <laughs> Christmas two thousand three <laughs> that was great yeah. yeah. Are you listening to this, Lily? We had a great day before you were born. <laughs> I mean, it's 14 years before she was born, so that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, that's his favourite day. Just want, just want to make not sure you understand Not when she was born that. or anything like that. No, no, no. First, <laughs> first words. The, the day I played Devil so May Cry for 10 hours. 
So, um, some something I'm interested to ask you about this. Did you find, did you a find it like some of the criticisms on learners? Like, did you find it a bit too long, or did you not really enjoy the boxing scenes? I felt like the boxing was kind of a little bit glossed over at time, and it was just oh, he's fighting this person, and then all of a sudden he's fighting him. There wasn't really much apart from maybe the the first fight. You see a bit of the prep work for that, and the last fight, but you don't really get much of the prep work for the second fight. You just oh, here's a fight with. Um, with that, uh, what's the what's the boxer in that film called? Uh, he's fighting with Sanchez, yeah, and it's more about his brother telling him the game plan rather it's than. It's really tricky. Him. Yeah, the 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 sort of top bullet point I've got on the things I didn't like was was basically I wasn't convinced by the fighting and I wasn't um, engaged by it. It wasn't cathartic when he. Oh, so spoiler alert! When he won. You know, it wasn't it wasn't really cathartic, and it should be. And I think partly that's because this is clearly made for people who aren't boxing fans, because it's not a boxing film, other than like you say, like Jaws isn't about yeah. a shark. Um, a couple of bits like when he uh, when he beat Sanchez, it was a bit hokey because he he had so much time to hit him in the side, like the guy just stood there waiting to be hit. I felt like they should have done another take of that. Um, and yeah, I think it was a. It's, it makes a lot of sense to make it a realistic fight sequence rather than Raging Bull rather than, rather than Rocky you know and it was very realistic mm. the, the way that the camera moved that was like you watching it on TV but it came with a lack of catharsis really it wasn't that yeah wasn't that effective and it doesn't have to always be stylistic and you know stylized like Snatch I think is just has such a good take on fight sequences you know the way that they can sort of bend reality and have someone falling for a long time or whatever because that's what it feels yeah. like and that's what it seems like in the moment um, it's the right decision to make it realistic but the wrong decision because the the finale, the climax of the film is a boxing match you know so yeah. So the, the realism, it didn't it didn't really work in that sense but I, yeah it's a tricky one to, to criticise a film I don't know what it is, this is a general point actually, David Russell's films I always enjoy them when I'm watching them and I find them forgettable I've got no real desire. They're very slick, aren't they? There's a yeah, slickness to and there's a dangerous style of substance there. Yeah, there is a lot of stylistic to his to the camera movements in this film as well. And yeah, you know, you, the, there's always odd angles and things like that. I, which you know, there's a lot of like tracking shots or sped up zoom shots in some of his films. Which yeah, yeah, there is a danger of style over substance. And because I think, are they serving a I purpose? Maybe, those shots, you know, are they just yeah. yeah, are they part of the language of that of that emotion in that in that moment? Yeah, you know, like you always maybe not in this film, but you always get that great reaction shot, don't you? When somebody realizes something and the camera quickly zooms in on their face, yeah, you know, that feels like something. You know, like what um, Guy Ritchie does in a lot of his films, he is famous for that shot. Yeah, you know, like Snatch and Lockstock. Yeah, with with a, with a sound effect often as well. Yeah, know? going yeah, something like yeah, that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And there's a bit of that to this these this film especially, and also American Hustle, which I think are very too similar. They're not the similarish films; they're about sort of the period pieces. I mean, well, three of his films are technically period pieces. You know, um, Three Kings is set in uh, the Gulf War as well, isn't it? Joy, Joy, I think so. it's set in the eight. I've not seen it. It's, it's good again, but I don't. I've got no no inclination no inclination to rewatch it. American Hustle, I I don't care if I never see that again. Silver Linings, I think I've seen twice, but. I just I, I wasn't a, yeah. I didn't care for silver linings as much as I think the media cares. Yeah, for. and and I've been really thinking about it since um so I watched this film yesterday and I just can't I can't really put my finger on it. It this it like I say there just there isn't the catharsis that I needed. It felt like there was an, another fight coming or you know the, it on paper it all makes sense cuz because it is a family drama there's these tensions and these issues um and the catharsis comes, doesn't it, when they decide to work together for the, the championship fight yeah. rather than him winning the fight. And I also think there's a catharsis when he uses his brother's um, style, you know, head, body, head, yeah. to win the Sanchez fight. And it's it's interesting that that's not how he won the final. Uh, in some ways, that might have almost been more interesting because that would tie in with his acceptance of his brother and so on. Um, but instead, he just came out fighting. And I thought... Again, on paper, that sounds great because he's somebody who's let other people run his life. 
and then he, you know, his character development is him taking agency over that, and that's what he does in the fight. He's being led by the other guy. He's getting punched, and then he takes agency, starts coming out and fighting. And I don't know if I needed it to hold my hand even more through that, and just really bludgeon me over the head with that, um, like switch and that change. Maybe it needed to be something that his brother said that made him do that, rather than clearly he's got this in his head the whole fight. Like I'm gonna come out and, and hit. And again, the the filmmaker is kind of wrestling with real life there because you can't completely fabricate something uh, yeah I, d- I don't know what it is no. I, I don't really have the the language for why David Russell's films leave me cold maybe it's a stylistic thing maybe someone like Guy Ritchie is just more distinctive in a way that yeah, yeah. I find interesting whereas David Russell's a bit quite distinctive you could tell the David Russell film from looking at a few slides like frames of it but but not in a particularly good way or a distinctive enough way I'm not sure how to explain that Do you think that the actors who are in this film are a bit too good looking for the characters they're playing? You're always interested in this um, like Place Beyond the Pines all that yeah, because it's always going to be the way isn't yeah, it? Yeah because sometimes they put people who are from certain backgrounds into situations that like I, I think this one's more unique because Mark Wahlberg grew up an hour from a Lowell in right, Massachusetts. Right. Apparently he knew um, Dickie Ward oh, wow. of him growing up. So it's a bit of a misnomer me going, do you think they're too good looking? Because that is his background. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's an authenticity there that I can see why he was such so passionate it's a, about it's a, getting this film it, made because he wanted to tell stories of the people from where he's from. It's a depressing a reality of, of filmmaking though that you get a good-looking person up there and the audience is going to be on their side more than an ugly person. Um, You know, it's why bad guys tend to be a bit more asymmetrical, more likely to be bold with a goatee or wear certain things uh, and be less good-looking for that reason, really. You know, Mm. and and they don't doll Mark Wahlberg in makeup and make him look gorgeous, but he's a good-looking man who's in great shape and they, you know, he's got his top off a couple of times. Whereas Christian Bale, you're supposed you're supposed to be less sympathetic towards, and they've made him look like shit. Uh, yeah, I, I know I've I've got no problem with that. Um, I mean, Amy Adams is stunning in this film, but not in yeah. not in a made up, dolled up way. More in a you know kind of barmaid who's really hot kind of way. <laughs> you know, so no, I'm, I'm I'm on board with it. I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah, there was the, there was a bit of a. I actually noticed there's one scene in it just before the family come to confront um, Charlene. Is it's basically Mark Wahlberg and Amy Adams' characters are about to have sex and it shows a bit of them like about you know the like oh, intimate yeah, yeah. kissing beforehand and I was just like this feels completely out of place in this film yeah and it was kind of the director going well we've got this good looking actress we're going to use it <laughs> she <laughs> you said know? she'll do the underwear Let's... scene <laughs> I for yeah. one would like to shoot that so we're going to go ahead and shoot that and then we'll see how yeah. much I cut everyone else don't him on the Thursday <laughs> <you know? laughs> we're going to have a skeleton crew um, you know, Mark. If you don't want to turn up, that's up. fine. We can do. I'll do my stunt hands. Yeah, no. A lot, a lot of like love scenes go on a bit when you think. Actually, I get it. Like the looks they've had towards each other, and that's all I needed. Or when it when a couple are kissing. I've been watching The Wire. Oh God, I love The Wire. Quarantine has been good for me in that sense because The Wire is so good. <laughs> and The Wire has got quite a few sex scenes that go on a bit too long. You know, you go. All I need to do is see them kissing. But I get it; <laughs> they're gonna burn. Um, yeah, it's where it's where show rather than infer, so to speak. Because yeah, if you're watching, you more it, less is more. Exactly. Yeah, if you're just watching them, you you kind of go, "Oh, we're just watching this now." You know, I'm kind of not enjoying the again the catharsis of their relationship going to the next level or whatever. But uh, I yeah. stuff like that has to serve the plot, person. Mm. Rather than it just be, it could be a character thing. It could be like, oh, they, 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 or maybe these two have really passionate sex, and that's that's good because that's important for their relationship. But even then, if it's in, if it's for like a minute, I go, do you know what? All I needed was a ten second shot of them having really passionate sex, and I go, okay, they're having passionate sex because they're that kind of couple. Or you know, if it's a if it's a story about a woman being dissatisfied with her husband having really, you know, tame sex, but then she has passionate sex with a stranger then again you have 10 seconds of that you go okay I get it for the for the story but anyway that's a yeah. that's a digression there's, um, in fact there's a great use of that sort of like use of sex to convey the story in an episode of Black Mirror where it's the one where they've got the oh um, yeah the, the entire history of you yeah is that the name of the episode yeah. and it, sh- it kind of fools your audience it gives you an unreliable sort of 
interest um, aspect on this uh, guy's relationship with his partner, and it, it, ma- it makes them think that they're having this you know wild passionate sex, and actually what they're doing is just having really boring sex and re- both replaying it in their mind's eye. Yeah, um, which is great. That yeah, was better than what they were having. In that <laughs> it's a good way of showing their, yeah. their relationships. Sort of yeah, stay and in. it serves the story brilliantly, and it's very memorable. Yeah, it fits. Um, so. What's your favourite scene of this film, Sam? I love it when Mickey's mum and sisters confront him and Amy at the house. We were just talking about that, actually, you know, just as they're having that mm. that uh, necking. Um, for many reasons, actually. <laughs> the first... Did you just say necking? <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, it shows the conflict at the heart of the film, which is, you know, he wants to be with Charlene because she's good for him and he, and he really likes her, but his mum and his sisters and this responsibility, they are conflict conflict you know have that conflict in that in that moment it also yeah they kind of coalesce don't they around disliking her because they feel like he's taking as she's taking him out of the family yeah 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 and uh, it really shows amy adams character charlene really well as well because she had been a bit uh snippy and ballsy up until that point but it's when they start calling her a skank i think she says don't call me a skank or I'll rip the... I can't remember what her threat is, but you're not. I'll rip, she goes, she say, I'll rip the blonde out your That's right. And it, which is great because she's yeah. surrounded by, you know, eight women or whatever. Um, yeah. And I just really like that because she is just hard as nails and, and ballsy. She's not cowed by those threats and insults. And I, I just really like the insanity of that scene. And, and it, you know, and there's, a, there's a lot of good scenes in this film, actually, but that, that was the one that stood out for me. How about you? Um, well, that is a standout scene. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's... As much as we was, you know, I've just been saying, oh, well, this is sex there, didn't, or they, they were about to have sex and it doesn't feel, it felt out of place in the film. It's actually, well, imagine, like, if you were about to get down with your missus and all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> your family turned up and, you know, you're both in your underwear and you're like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Why are they here? What's happening? Um, the other scene I really liked was when that, again, featuring Charlene's character, is when uh, she first meets them. Mm, yeah, that's a good and, scene. Yeah, and they're like talking about his next fight, and that kind of tension again between the family and the, the girlfriend. And um, whilst Dicky's trying know, to be the charismatic, uh, Dicky's trying to be charismatic and say, "Well, you want to train all year round? Well, I'll do that. Guaranteed, I'll sort that out for yeah. you." Yeah, yeah, and it kind of sets up the next part of the film, doesn't it? Yeah, um, you know, it ends up leading to him getting in trouble, you know, with the police and all that, because um, he basically pimps it when he pimps his girlfriend <laughs> out to try and rob people. That's awful, yeah. awful cat person, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Crackheads, eh? but then it's from a, but then it's from a place of care for his brother as well, which is which is a really strange place that it comes from. Yeah, but showing no sort of real care for his partner. Yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, very odd, um, very odd dynamic. Yeah, I love the the. I mean, we usually go into favorite lines here, but just from that scene where she goes, uh, one of the sisters goes, "I heard she's into three ways." Yeah, with other girls. Yeah, like one of those MTV girls. <laughs> yeah, that is great. MTV girl, what you're talking about? Wild. She acts like all fucking superior because she went to college. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. That bit's, yeah, they uh, they get some of the best lines of the film. So, what's your favourite line from the film, then, Sam? My favourite line, uh, I well, look, actually, from that from that scene, uh, the when Charlene and, and Mickey's family are meeting for the first time, and um, Mickey's mum says, "I've heard a lot about you, Charlene. Really, I've heard a lot about you too. What's that supposed to mean? Same thing you meant." And I thought, yeah, witty, yeah. ballsy. She's not. She's not cowed by the fact that she's talking to the mother of, uh, you know, significant other. I thought it was absolutely really brilliant. And, um, mm. into... It is the standout line of the film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really good. And, and then just jumping back to best scenes, I put it out on the socials, and a good friend of mine, Tom, uh, said that his favourite scene was when um, Dickie jumps out of the crack house window and punches his stepdad in the face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually took a line from that going where... Um... Where Mark Wahlberg says, "What are you doing, running in here like a silverback?" Yeah, because it's like he's a fucking boxer. Yeah, he's gonna. It was was always quite interesting when they had to fight somebody else like that bouncer, and they just destroy them. Even though that you know, Dicky against that bouncer is like a third of his weight. They just have that. I I used I used to have a couple of um, friends at uni who were a bit like that. They were boxers, and if you're ever on a night out and somebody started, they would hit them once and they would go down and not get back up while we were there. I mean, I'm, I'm not that sort of person who hang around with that sort of person all the time, but it was just I had these two friends who both could do that, uh, and it, it happened a couple of times each uh, in a couple of years, and it's just a weird superpower that some people have. Very odd. 
Yeah, no, that's unusual. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the other line that I like after they've convinced him to uh, fight uh, Mungin, and he goes, he, <laughs> he see, and Mickey sees him, and he goes, he did not just get off the fucking couch. If he did, I'm going to go buy a couch. Because like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, uh, you know, you can see the tension in everyone, and they're He's like, oh my off. gosh. Yeah, yeah, he's pissed off. There, they've realised they've sold him a bum deal, and they mm-hmm. needed the money. And yeah, he's going to get murdered. And yeah, he's like, I need that catch. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. It's it is peppered with some great lines, and it is actually quite a funny film. Yeah, and I like the fact that it has humour and it's got the dramatic tension as well. Um, like it's almost like a bit like Death of Stalin in that regard. Yeah. Um, do you think they made the best use of their their location? Uh, what do you mean by that? Like, because, you know, they're in Boston and it's, you know, a famous... Sorry, they're in Lowell in Massachusetts. You know, they're in a nice kind of leafy part of the world. You know, last week we got um, some great cinematography in Blue Ruin. Do you mean maybe you know, some maybe just more liked... establishing shots, perhaps? Yeah, just show you that, you know, maybe things aren't as black and white as the film showing it to be. Because you get the one scene, don't you, where uh, he goes to see his daughter uh, in the... In, and they're in this, this lovely leafy suburb and you're like, oh, well, there's that side of this town that you don't see that he's trying to ascertain and maybe, you know, you could see his dreams a bit more in brick and mortar, I suppose, if that makes right, sense, right. rather than being talked about. Uh, um, I, had, I genuinely great... considered it. Maybe it would have improved it a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we've just been trekked to so many wonderful um, scenery shots in films recently. Spoiled on. You know. Yeah. Um, the other scene that I really enjoyed... Um, is when he does the documentary um, about crack in America. Yeah, yeah, that is really good. Yeah, the reactions to that. And, you know, you get Dickie coming into the prison where he's at at the time and, you know, everyone's cheering him and everyone's, you know, saying stuff to him and he's kind of playing to the crowd. And as it was, it wears on, he sort of, you know, he's showing, you know, he's humiliating himself and, you know, he asks to get it turned off and nearly gets in a fight with some absolute massive guy because <laughs> he's just all over like, his head. yeah, he's like, I want to watch this. And he's like, no, this is, and he's like standing up going, this is my life, you know, I don't want you seeing this. And I liked that it, it was a, know, it was a real sympathy for him in that moment. It was a reveal, I don't know how long into the film, that it wasn't about his comeback. That really took me by surprise, yeah. actually. That was a good, that was a good moment. Yeah, apparently the guy who was in that scene who was filming that is the guy who actually filmed the real <laughs> That's great, that's really good. Yeah, that was a nice bit of uh, continuity. You always know it's going to be the there. case, actually, when something is based on real events, but it's 20 years ago, or 15, 20 years ago, there's going to be somebody in the odd scene who you know is incidental in that scene, but they go, right, that's a 60-year-old in this scene who looks like he's smiling directly down the lens. He's probably one of the people who... Is... What's that film? Is it called Gorgeous? With Toby Jones... Oh, I've not seen it. Yeah. But you know, that's that's based on real events, and you'll see some of the real people who are in it, and occasionally they'll kind of introduce themselves. <laughs> I kind of like Twenty Four Hour Park people actually when he's leaving the bathroom, um, and there's a there's somebody mm-hmm. who was really there. I was I was really there, but I don't remember that happening, <laughs> uh, which is great. Well, they're like for legal reasons. This is the real. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. It didn't happen. Just, like just that. so you know, just <laughs> so we can have our cake and eat it too. Uh, yes, yeah. this is good for the film, but it didn't really happen. Between the truth and the legend, always print the legend. The legend, that's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, that's um, that's pretty much everything I like about this film, and I think they're all the best lines in the film. Um, can you think of anything else you want to say? I think that's the uh, that's the key stuff. I think should we look at what other yeah. people have said about it? Yep. So coming up after the break, we're going to get Sam's um, marks out of ten for the fighter. We're also going to do the critics, and we're going to have a wee quiz. So join us after the break for all that. Welcome back. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have a look at some critical responses to this film. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, Peter de Bruges in Variety. Um, he says that the influence of The Sopranos and such recent character-driven dramas as Mad Men can also be felt in Russell's narrative style, which isn't as clearly plot-driven as the many boxing movies that have come before it. Instead, he seems more invested in scenes that reveal his character's often unarticulated, unarticulated insecurities and dramas, as in the television premiere of HBO Expose based on the 1995 High on Crack Street. 
which allows See, the director to cycle among his ensemble to observe how all the key players react to public humiliation. Interesting. I mean, that's that's definitely would scream of a film that I would prefer kind of theme of a plot, which is definitely true of this film, isn't it? It is yeah. theme of a plot. Yeah, it's the, very much the theme of family, isn't it? And yeah. It's, and it's in and it's relationships and how it drives people's decision making. Yeah. Um, so, Peter Travers in Rolling Stone, he said, after Matt Damon and Brad Pitt turned down the role of crackhead Dickie, Wahlberg looked out big time with Christian Bale. To watch these two dynamite actors spar is one of the purest pleasures of the movie season, and he gave it three stars in Rolling Stone. So was that Matt, Matt Damon and Brad Pitt? Yes, they turned Interesting. it down. Um, I would have thought then Matt Damon as Mark Wahlberg and Brad Pitt as Christian Bale. Uh, well, it was always going to be Mark Wahlberg as the fighter, I think, as the as um, Mickey Ward, because it's like his, like I said, it was like his pet project. He'd, oh, I see. Oh, I see. So Matt Damon and yeah. Brad Pitt, they weren't they weren't going to be both in it, right? They were both. No, in it a... was. They both turned down the the job of um, playing Dickie uh, Eklund. I think they made the right choice for Bale then in that case, because I couldn't see Brad Pitt as a crackhead as much as I could see Christian Bale, but. Yeah, I could see maybe Brad Pitt more... I could imagine Brad Pitt actually being a boxer rather than Christian Bale, if I'm being brutally honest. Yeah. Um, did you know who Sugar Ray Leonard was? Did you get that whole, you know, this guy had a fight with him in the 70s? He oh, I knew, he was a, I knew he was a boxing legend, yeah. Yeah, because obviously you said you weren't... Yeah, because I think when I watched this, I wasn't sure who he was and I didn't really understand that that whole, you know, how hard it really was to knock down a great fighter and yeah, yeah. been living off that fame. So that kind of when I learned more about Sugar Ray Leonard, um, I kind of realised just how impressive a feat what that you would you take that with you for the rest of your life and uh, yeah, yeah. It'd, be on your, it'd be on your answering phone message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so that's the, like the good reviews. There, was, there is some negative reviews for this. Um, so Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian gave it only three stars. And he said, Now is a good moment as any to call time on Hollywood's newest and most annoying cliche. Whenever there's a film based on real people, it's practically a legal compulsion now to show a sentimental, celebratory snapshot of these real people over the closing <laughs> credits. I, uh, yeah, I don't actually like that as a trope but because it's the closing credits you can just ignore it i think yeah he goes on to say there they are you see recognizable though obviously not as attractive as the stars playing them underlying yeah. the movie's authenticity with their uh, palpable realness that's why i asked earlier um, after mm. reading that review about do you think they're too attractive to play these yeah roles? and I, th- I think it's not necessarily that how attractive they are it's more a case of the film immediately ends you're still in that afterglow of this is a th- this is a film I've watched, and then you watch it, it does destroy it a little bit. I'd rather at least they waited 30 seconds into the credits to show it, or a little bit longer. Um, I'd sort of rather they didn't have it at all, but at the same time, I kind of feel like it's nice, you know, a lot of the time. I'm really undecided on that, but I do think they need to, they can't just finish the film and then immediately go into it. Yeah. Okay. So... We're going to go on to your rating now, Sam. So mm. how many Sugar Ray Leonard's out of 10 would you give The Fighter? <laughs> it's changed a bit in our discussion. I've gone up, I think, in our discussion. So what I had noted down was seven Sugar Ray's out of 10. Because yeah. it because it was enjoyable, there's lots to in its favour, but it was ultimately a bit... Forgettable is not the word, but, it, you know, it, it, um, it's not something I'll go back to. But, yeah, I think... In reflecting what we talked about, at least on paper, it gets a lot of things right that didn't hit me the first time. Uh, and as always, I've been watching it in the background while we talk. And it, yeah, I think when a film is thematic rather than plot driven, it does take a bit longer for it to stew in yeah. your brain. You know, and you, yeah. things don't have the heft. Or, or at least now I can justify things. So with the fight sequences not really being cathartic to me, at least now we've talked about it, I can justify that and understand the decision and why it is the right decision, even if it didn't work fully. So I'll go up to, a, I think, a 7.5. Somewhere between, yeah, not quite an 8. What do you think it got on Metacritic, then? Probably in that critics. realm, actually. Probably in that area, mid-70s, I would have thought. Go on, I'll pin you down to a number. 75. So you were 4 off. 79. 79, yeah. 
I mean, that's uh, a really solid score, isn't it? That's really good. Yeah. And yeah, I imagine the performances get you know a good solid twenty percent of that. Yeah, that's definitely isn't it. Yeah, like you said, it's a bit more. There is a bit of style over substance with these with this film, but yeah, Christian Bale and Melissa Leo just elevate it to being a, a really watchable film. I think. Yeah, um, and what I'm really waiting. What I'm really waiting for is one of my favourite sort of film YouTubers to to tell me what I what I'll take credit for actually thinking in why is David Russell's film why are David Russell's films. Unf- like why they're so forgettable for me if nerd writer if you're listening <laughs> or film mentor or folding ideas if one of you could just sit down for a day and, and do a video essay about why david russell's films aren't cathartic enough for me uh, then i'll take credit for it and mention it in next week's episode thanks guys <laughs> yeah good job i would yeah. give it an eight personally yeah, an eight i think it's so we're yeah. quite close yeah because it's i've tried to always go for home numbers as well i don't think it's I don't think it's a seven, and I don't think it's a nine. <laughs> so by fair. very definition, <laughs> logical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, would you like a quiz? I love a quiz. Oh, listener, if you don't, you don't know me unless you're Joe or one of the ten people who listen, uh, who we all know. Um, but I bloody love a quiz. So, yes, please. Okay. So, question one. We'll start with an easy one, just to get you in, get you in, you know, get you in a warm up, you know, a few phantom jabs Ooh. and that. Um, <laughs> what year does the film start in? Ninety three. Fantastic. Well done. That's one out of one. What is the name Nailed of the it. documentary? Oh, you mentioned it a second ago, didn't you? Um, I did. Crack, uh, crack life. Uh, how, how to do crack. Oh. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's actually a how-to manual, how to do crack. Yeah, that's what the, <laughs> yeah well, crack, what was it? Uh, the crack diaries. No, no, you're close. So, in the film, it's called Crack in America. Cracking America. Yeah, unfortunately, you got that one wrong. But the actual documentary is called Crack Street, Lost Lives in Lowell. That's it, right, okay. Yeah. yeah fair enough, good question. Question three, this is a three-parter. What are the surnames oh. of the three boxers that Mickey Ward fights? Um... Does he uh, fight four? Uh, no, he fights three in the film. Hmm. Okay, well, Sanchez. Yep, that's one. There was another Spanish surname, Hernandez, or um, uh, a name like that. I'll, I'll, I'll circle back on that one. Um, well, uh, fi- well he's, there's, a fi- there's a fight that they talk about off, off. There's a fight that happens just before the film happens, isn't it? And that's... Yeah, that's I can't remember. He's they're all saying, you know, he's like, oh, talking about how he lost his last fight, and he's lost like four fights in a row. I'm yeah. sure there's only three fights that they actually show. Well, there was a bit of a montage, and he definitely, I think he might have had four, you know. But anyway, uh, well, the I, three that get significant screen time. Then. Yeah, I mean, I, I need to. So you've uh, got God. Sanchez. Sanchez. Why am I struggling so much? I'm literally watching the film right now. Uh, there's one the beginning. First... With... Yeah, what was the What's first the first one? one called? Is it? Um... So it he's the guy who he knocked down Jerry Farrell. Oh, Jerry yeah, Farrell knocked him down, and you knocked down Jerry Farrell. You knocked out Jerry Farrell. Uh, what does it begin with? It begins with an M. Yeah, um, Miguel. Is it a Spanish name? No. Right. There is an M, like Meleta, Medita, Met. Do you want to try the last one? Because I don't know if you're getting this one, unfortunately. No, I don't think I am. So Sanchez, and then. Yep. He fights uh, against um, the thingy, the you know the 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 chap with the the other name that starts with a different letter. <laughs> what does Would the last like guy f- start with? I'll give you his first name. His first name Shay. Oh yeah, Shay Shay I'm gonna call time on this. Neary, Neary, Shay Neary. Yes, Neary. That's it. Neary. Yep. So can you get can you get the final one? God. It's called Machine Gun. Mendieta. No, I I'm not going to get it. No, it's Mungin. Mm. Yeah. Mungin, of course. Bollocks. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But I'm convinced that there's at least one other fight in there enduring uh, uh, a bit of a montage. But, you know, that's fine. Damn it. Question four. Yeah. What is the name of the film that they go to see? Amy Adams and Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, Belle Epoch. The New York Times loved it. 
They did. Great cinematography. Well done. <laughs> I would have also accepted Belly Epic or Bell Epic. Bell Epic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, Bell Epoch won Best Foreign Film at the Oscars that year. Well, well, let's do that next know. week. Let's not. <laughs> well, you'll be fine. It's all in Spanish. Um, finally, question five. What is the title um, that they fight for in the final fight scene? Oh, fucking hell. Uh, and can the, I have the uh, governing body as well, please? Just for, <laughs> for extra difficulty. So it's is it the I not IBM? What's it called? Yep, it's the IBM. Yeah, IBM. <laughs> the IBM World Fight Division. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Get your calculators shit. at the ready, lads. <laughs> IWB welterweight. So I'll give you half a mark for getting the correct um, weight division. It's it's the WBU welterweight title. WBU. Yeah, so on my like account, said. you got three and a half out of four. Which oh, no, is more got... than it seemed from my performance. Maybe two and a half. Two. Yeah, you got you're three and a half, yeah. More three than and three and a half. half. I'll take yeah. that. Because you... Yeah, because I, you know, I was giving you a bit benefit of the doubt with. No, I'll, uh, I'll take it. How Every to take crack in America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good, so good, yeah. that was well, the fighter. Know. That was the fighter. That was the so, fighter. That was. Finally, would you recommend mm. this film? Oh yeah, we often forget to do that. Uh, yes, I would. I would. It wouldn't have a glowing recommendation like you have to watch this film, but if um, Joe, my brother, was text me and said oh I'm thinking of what to watch tonight the fight is on should I watch it I go yeah yeah you should watch that I'd recommend it for me personally I'd recommend it to people just for Christian Bale's performance in it because it yeah. is very memorable like if you've in a few years all you'll remember really is Christian Bale about this film I think yeah I think that's, that's what true I yeah I think that's true and he, and he does it he just does it so well doesn't he well there you go that's the fighter that so, is the so, fighter mm. next week what are we going to be listening to well watching and then talking about so the listeners <laughs> week, can listen the to listeners it. are going to listen to us talking about A Quiet Place we were due to um, to do that episode when the sequel landed but uh, events that we're not going to talk about led to it not landing um, what do you know about A Quiet Place Hugh? Um, I know it's got John Krasinski, Emily Blunt in. Um, I think it's like scary aliens or monsters that kill you if you make a noise. That's about, it's like a family trying to survive. Um, I think I got a spoiler for this film about one of the lead characters. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of going into it expecting that to happen. Um, but I'm looking forward to it because I watched, did you watch Bird Box? Yeah. No, no, it yes. looked like a poor man's uh, quiet place, to be honest. Yeah, I want to see if it was a poor man's quiet place. Yeah, so do, do you... Um, it wasn't that good. Do you think you'll like a quiet place, from what you know of it? I'm not sure. It's I'm not a big fan of these weird... Because if it turns out that it's... Because like, the problem with Bird Box is it's these weird monsters that make you see kind of like horrible things that make you immediately want to commit suicide mm. and I just don't I just didn't buy the premise in that film I, right, I enjoyed right. the film for what it was but I don't enjoy lud- I know it's like it's career but sci-fi they have all these ludicrous premises and they do And I think it's when you set something in hard reality and then give it a stupid premise is when I kind of switch off and can't suspend my disbelief where with this it's going to have to work for my suspension of disbelief quite hard. And that's why I've never been a massive horror film fan because I've always struggled with that genre's suspension of disbelief. Yeah, a lot of the time there's like the reason why if it's like a government conspiracy or testing at Area 51 or whatever, they tend to get worked out through the course of the film. You sort of have to buy into it right at the start, don't you? Um, I, I think I think you'll like it. We'll, we'll find out, I suppose, won't we? We will. It is on Netflix in the UK, presumably the US as well, so... Uh... Look out for that, listener. Now, Hugh, if they Don't want to get if it's only in Botswana, though, you'll have to check. I mean, we do have quite a lot. We've got quite a lot of listeners in India and Singapore, so uh, we'll find out if it's on their Netflix in there. Um, Hugh, if they want to get in touch with us and tell us how much they love Christian Bale's performance um, or, you know, Mark Wahlberg's pecs, uh, how could they do that? <laughs> so what they need to do is they need to, um, essentially, they need to set up their own boxing gym Alright, yep. Yeah, you know, obviously. Um, they need to then train up a prize winning fighter who becomes world champion. And then because he'll get media exposure and things like that, you can probably use that to send us a message 
via the smart, media, smart. maybe on like an interview or maybe know, the ring girls can can carry it as a sign. Yeah, in, in ten parts, if they get you know twelve parts, if the fight goes that long, <laughs> um, hopefully, yeah. Or you know, like when they have the weigh-ins and they have the big press conference where they yeah. square up. Yeah, maybe they can answer a question to one of the, you know, one of the journalists there with actually the question they want to ask us. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I'm, I'm, I can't really see another way they could do it personally. I mean, I'm, that's how I get in touch with podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, oh, did you uh, world heavyweight champion. Well, I. I, I trained you know you, you don't know you, I trained this guy to be uh, fair enough he, he was down on his luck I look forward he? to his message crackhead brother and so on um, e- well email they could email I suppose oh yes they could email us at please watch this dot pod at gmail dot com if they so yeah. wish Sam is there any other way they could get in touch with us beyond setting if you know if they don't have the financial resources to set their own gym uh, probably email uh, I suppose on the other hand Twitter <laughs> if they've got email they'll probably get a Twitter account uh, you can sign up for a, for the Twitter with your email address which is quite good or a phone number I think uh, and your first name and surname and uh, probably a, probably it is a the best probably the best way to contact us is through Twitter yeah, yeah well, that is the way uh, I mean we were we were you know we got a response from Jeremy Solnier about Blue Ruins yesterday not to not to brag um, but uh, you can get with us on Twitter at please watch pod we look forward to your engagements with Yep. Check out all our tweets. engagements with uh, semi-famous directors. It's worth doing. Well, the and writers and uh, cinematographers, absolutely. So yeah, uh, check us out and so on. Um, listener, thank you for spending your time in quarantine with us. And yep. We look forward to speaking at you next week. We we'll, can't wait, can we, Sam? We'll, but we, we'll have to be quiet. Okay. <laughs> that would be a, yeah, a problematic medium uh, in that universe. Yeah. Okay, everyone. okay, listeners. See you next week. Bye. Bye.